And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. And transpire out! Freak! Two! Belong in a circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God damn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish. Stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. So you're looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia, shoot. I say shut up! It's a man! Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks Commentary Monthly Monday. I am Chris Honeywell, and I am just Chris Honeywell. No Scott Gardner this month. Scheduling conflicts have kept us apart, which has given me the perfect opportunity to do the commentary that I've been procrastinating and threatening that I'm going to do for the last month. Month? More like six months, something like that ever since the the movie's been out on Blu-ray, and that is Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. And I know, I I mean, I'm on record as not liking this movie, so why would I want to do a commentary, you know, all that bullshit about if you don't have something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, I'm not going to take this as an opportunity to just tear up the movie. Um, I'm going... I've spent a lot of time... <laughs> as a lot of people have on the internets debating the merits and demerits of this movie so I've had a lot of time to sort of think out my thoughts of this not that you should expect a coherent and <laughs> intelligent commentary coming from me um, but um, this gives me an opportunity to maybe sort of lay them all out in, in the order that the movie plays out and um I think I got something to, to, to say about it. Um, it's it's almost going to be more academic than it is going to be a tearing apart. Very similar to, say, the commentary I did with um, the Star Trek Into Darkness, except without somebody who liked the movie <laughs> watching along with me to, to counterpoint. So... Yeah, I'm drinking caffeine because I'm going to have to blah, blah, blah for two and a half hours through this movie. It's a long and 
Um, so, I think we should just get it started anyway, because anything else I, I gotta say, I can say during the movie and probably find an appropriate appropriate point to to bring that up. So, um, I am watching the uh, Blu-ray version of um, Superman Man of Steel by Zack Snyder, written by David Goyer. Yay. And, um, I'm very curious as to whether... Mr. Gardner will listen to this episode. <laughs> It'll spoil a movie for him. So, I've got my um, my player set at 0. 0.00000 and I'll do a countdown from 3 and on 1 we push play and there we go. 3, 2, 1, go. And alright. All the fancy little fiddly fucks I gotta put at the beginning of every movie nowadays. And you can tell this is gonna be a classy movie because they're using the... Now, I uh, I went to see this movie in the theater, and I'm gonna say right now, I didn't pay to see this. I paid to see it. I cannot remember the other movie that I paid, but it was, it was somebody that I'd rather give my money to than Zack Snyder. I just, I swore I would never, just like Roland Emmerich, no more money for, for Zack Snyder. But I did pay some, somebody got paid. <laughs> and I was ready, I gotta be honest with you, for a media masochist style hootenanny of awfulness, of Zack Snyder awfulness. I really was just like, What's this guy going to do to Superman? He's just the most tone-deaf director. I know this side of Yui Boyle. Bowl? Yui Bowl? Alright. Now the first thing we notice is beautiful cinematography, beautiful special effects, processed almost to the point of of a, of a commercial. At this At this point in the movie, I was settled in and I gotta say, I kinda like this um, this beginning sequence, the the sequence set on Krypton. It's either Krypton or Krypton. I don't know. They sort of switch back and forth between what they what they want to do. But I guess this is a good as starting point as ever for a movie about Superman. Is his actual actual birth? It's funny. His uh, looks like he's got a little skull cap there. But, I mean, I was really ready to just tear, tear, tear into this movie. Oh my god, it's episode one. <laughs> but, I gotta say, at this point, I'm kind of digging these these sort of... It's sort of a Dune meets episode one type thing. Um, and, and I was kind of digging it. I was saying, okay, this has a real science fiction feel to it. Uh, especially with those... Those headsets. Yep. Okay. Here's an important story point that I'm going to be pounding on through this whole movie. Krypton has a whole support system for getting the hell off Krypton. Here, here, Joel is is mapping it out for them. All right. When when the drama happens. They have, as as we've seen, they have spaceships that are obviously capable of intergalactic travel. 
and um, with with all this happy bullshit going on, your 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 Zod coup, whatever. No matter what's going on, we have a time period before Krypton's gonna explode, where any number of people, for any number of reasons, could get in those spaceships and fly to an outpost. Anything, anything. It's better than sitting on your planet while it explodes. And and in the meantime, here's General Zod, who we'll later find out was genetically bred to make sure, at whatever cost, Kryptonians live. And doing really absolutely nothing but going after power. It just, it doesn't make sense. It's weird. It's, it's the, I think they wanted to avoid the conflict of Jor-El and the elders where as Jor-El's like, you know, the planet's going to explode and they deny it. That makes sense why <laughs> Krypton doesn't, um, save itself in any way or evacuate or some segment of Kryptonians with common sense you know obviously you have your political radicals here and your government <laughs> who don't make a lot of sense and are not very logical in their decisions that makes sense to me that 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 works in a story but there would be plenty of Kryptonians who are who would be like um say a pilot of one of those ships would be like hey listen <laughs> yeah, maybe it's time to get the hell out of here but um and this is bringing me sort of to what also is going to be my main critique of this movie and um i came to it getting ready to pillory Zack snyder i was you know i'm f f go listen to my um um sucker punch review Oh, no, now it's Avatar Episode 1 Dune. But I kind of dig I kind of dig this, even though it is kind of green screeny or whatever. At least they're going flat-out science fiction at this point. Um, but anyway, back to my, uh, back to the, my point. Um, I was ready to just tear into Z Zack Snyder. I figured he would be whatever ruined or got it wrong with this movie and I don't think it is so much I'm not to say that he's a good filmmaker but it in this instance he's made something that's passable as a summer blockbuster movie and this movie suffers from just the typical um, problems with a blockbuster movie which usually is bad writing lazy writing and a lack of characterization and that's exactly what it's kind of it was kind of disappointing for me i thought this would just be a, a clusterfuck of crazy images and freeze frames and zack snyderisms but it isn't he's sticking more or less to a more coherent storytelling style and, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are just like, what the hell is is up with this? Okay, is this the skull containing all the genetics of Krypton, Krypton, whatever? I, I don't mind this this whole thing. I don't mind the whole revisionist Superman. And I don't even, shouldn't say re revisionist as much as reimagining. This, 
is, and, and I didn't take it as such when I went to see it the first time, but I'm taking it on the viewing I did last night and what while I'm watching it today. This is a movie that is, it's a modernization of Superman. We're going to bring this into the, the modern time, very similar to Star Trek Into Darkness and with the very, very similar faults. Although, as, uh, as we'll see later, um, I think this one suffers from those faults way more than Into Darkness, which is saying a lot. But, um, yeah, uh, all right, this, the, this whole sequence is, uh, this is a spectacular, exciting thing happening. But, I mean, when we as we're watching this, isn't it just sort of the, um, isn't it just sort of watching like, and then this happened. I don't feel like I'm on this creature with Jor-El. And a lot of that has to do with stuff is just sort of there. Jor-El's there, his flying winged creature's there. There's nothing to connect them, really. You know that that's his beloved animal, but you never really see why or anything to point to that other than you know obvious he refers to her as girl or, or whatever i like this um effect on the 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 robots too um trying to remember which this is why i'm an awful choice for something for a superman movie but at the same time i think actually i'm a good choice for this one because i really know relatively little about Superman compared to my peers here on, on Two True Freaks. Um, I, I've, I've only read Superman sporadically. I've only read modern Superman very sporadically. And it's not that I don't care for modern Superman comics. It's just that I haven't read a lot of them. I haven't been very interested in it because they seem to be having trouble with what to do with the character. And I don't hold that against them because, man, it's a hard character to write. Um, and I think that I'm missing a lot of references to all different modern incarnations of Superman in here. I'm sure uh, people who've seen this movie can, can you know, explain to me which which run of which each thing came from. But those those robots were from one I I had to read I think and get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic at one time, and I don't think it was it might have been John Burns reimagining of of Superman and and stuff. So I get it. There, it's it's a standard Goyerism where he's gonna take a million scenes from modern Superman and tie them together into this story, which that mojo is not going to work on me for the most part in this because I'm not familiar with them. So I have to take it as the story and not as, Oh, that's a good reference. So that, that might hamper my enjoyment of the movie, but at the same time, it shouldn't. All that stuff should be extras for the people who are really, you know, highly committed and knowledgeable about this. And and the general public should be I mean that's what this is designed for I'm assuming the general public to consume like this the Star Trek movies 
Ah, hot tea. There he goes. There he goes. How many of these ships are just sort of to, to this? Oh, look at all those spaceships. Oh my god. So many spaceships to fly you out of Krypton. So, anyway, I'm gonna... I'm going to argue that the problems with this movie all really start with David Go. This scene, that shot is right out of episode two. That's that's just a visual lift right from episode two, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> you don't think of the prequels as as something somebody would would be lifting from. But yeah, the the blame lays flat on David Goyer and his tone-deaf writing. Um, I think what we're going to start noticing is, um, as a matter of fact, let me grab a notebook. I want to write down, or at least make a little hash mark, every time we see, and we haven't seen one yet, a, and I know this might be a little subjective, subjective but a true character moment you know where where two characters are interacting as themselves and that interaction tells you something about either one or both of them without telling it to you in dialogue without it being like a pivotal this is this is happening in order to move the story along you know I, you, you know what I mean just those things that happen in life <laughs> that that make your friends your friends your co-workers your co-workers little quirks um, quirks that give away aspects of the personality and what we're gonna see is I don't know uh, let's see if we get through this with a single hash mark <laughs> because one thing I've noticed about this movie is the, the, it's almost like a commercial and this is a 2 hour and 23 minute movie every th this sounds like praise but it's not every scene is is sort of an integral shot of of what's going on not necessarily in the story but what is this is happening on screen this action sequence this um you know um um battle or whatever each each set piece you know as as most summer movies are it's sort of split into a series of set pieces and budgetarily oh why no reason no reason Jarl's no threat to Zod but he must die. Now I'm gonna argue that that Jorel is a suicide, <laughs> as as is his wife, as is most of Krypton. Um, he could have been, he should have been out of here long ago. <laughs> um, there's there was no reason for him to be here, and and to be to be killed like this. It's a fake martyrdom. And with all of this 
going on. Alright, and and the the level of hate that Zod has for the L family. I mean, doesn't that that sort of um resolve that right there in a in a storytelling arc, you know, the the problem between him and Jor-El pretty much is solved as far as Zod's concerned when he plunges a knife into his chest cavity and kills him. Yet, it's he's going to basically ruin all chances of Krypton surviving in a quest still for revenge on subsequent generations of Jor-El. It's makes no sense. It's very similar to Nero in the first Star Trek movie where you had a character that was so consumed with hate that he was going basically, same thing, destroy the Earth by by some sort of boring mechanism. At boring is in digging a hole, not a boring mechanism, although it's not a very imaginative mechanism. And, okay... This is supposed. This is what I believe David Goyer and Zack Snyder think of as a character moment, <laughs> as as a potential for acting moment. Here, here, here we're seeing Zod, you know, avow his revenge and the the maybe where his mind snaps or whatever. But it's necessary for the story. It's necessary for him. Oh, come on. Mellow out, dude. Nice special effect. No! I, they've given nothing to these other characters except a visual representation of them. Um, not even... Oh, there go the dildos. There they go. We're going to see a lot of... Oh, they're flying into a woomy sort of thing. Now all that could be wonderful with dicks and pussies and a running theme of phallic symbolism, but I think it's just sort of I don't know if I don't know if Zack Snyder's doing it on purpose. I think he might just be thinking about penises. But anyway, that's another topic for another day. Um, so far, so far at this point. I'm I'm gonna say I was sitting in the movie theater going, you know what? I'm kind of digging this. I'm I I don't think this is a good movie, but it's engaging me as a science fiction story. Even though all the sort of dumb things that I've been talking about writing wise in in this are just typical of the modern um, action movie these days. So there, it's not that surprising, and I can. It's sad, but I can get past them in the enjoyment of a spectacle in the movie theater. So at this point in the movie theater, I was actually thinking to myself, oh my god, have I... am I going to end up enjoying this movie? <laughs> After literally for the last two years being like chomping at the bit to see this horrible monstrosity that Zack Snyder would produce, am I actually going to be enjoy this movie and the answer is no not really it's 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 the the writing is going to really hamper things pretty soon i think the bad writing at this point i can forgive it a lot cuz it's in such a fantastical um 
setting and atmosphere. I I like this effect of of Krypton blowing up, and I also like the sad violin playing. It's this the only um, point so far that I've noticed the soundtrack is anything but just sort of a percussive um, environmental sort of thing. And once again, now that we're starting to head to Earth, I'm going to start talking about this being a modern Superman. That also could mean, <laughs> and in this case it does mean, that this could be a dated Superman. Not yet, but someday. <clears throat> because we're talking about, and this is something I think that went on pretty much in all forms of Superman is it's picking up the tropes of our visual medium th these days in in order to be a a modern Superman and uh, that's handheld camera um, and this is kind of a Zack Snyderism but it's been I think it's a result I would say of the use of high-def video cameras nowadays because it's very easy when you shoot digital video to go in post and give it that blue filter look. And uh, when people first started discovering that blue filter, I, it puts it in this lighting sweet spot. And it's something I've noticed being outside um, during, say, twilight or just the right amount of cloudiness you get this sort of blue light and it's almost a surreal dreamy quality and it says sort of reality in a visual tone Zack Snyder uses it all the time and it's becoming a trope of right uh, the overuse of it's becoming a trope of modern times so ten years down the line people are gonna go oh look how blue this movie is this total ought 12 alright so Here's our first look at grown Clark Kent. No, no line of dialogue. No, no, no character moments. Um, sort of, I get, you know, an attempt at it where he's almost hit by the fishing cage, but it it really didn't say anything. It would have said something, a little something maybe, if maybe after the guy saved his life, Clark went. Thank you for saving my life. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it, even though the guy uh, didn't save his life, but it's the thought that counts. All right, so here's the first thing we see of adult Clark Kent. What's he doing? He's basically re revealing himself or doing superheroics in front of people because he cannot avoid them seeing him. Um... Kind of a, a, a spectacular sequence, but we don't know anything about this guy. But this is the, the this is set up as okay. Here's our framing um, style, and here's where we run into start to run into the problems. <laughs> the the flashback sequence. This has been used in in a couple. I can't. It was another comic that Bailey and um, Gardner got me to read. He looks like Elliot from E.T. And she looks like a 
uh, younger Mary Steenburgen. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to dissect this frog. I like this, this part. This is a, this, this, okay. Let's, let's mark this down as a, as a decent character moment for Clark. Even though, nah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I like this scene. I like, I like visually how it's done. And I like, okay, it's showing that, you know, he's, he's overstimulated and we, we're, we're going to get another sort of character. All these mysterious things happening and nobody thinking anything of it, like him heating up the, <laughs> the doorknob. I would have been in trouble. They would have, they would have blamed that on me, but Okay, I like I, I like this scene, and we get to see a little bit of Clark interacting with his mom, but it's once again it's we're we're presenting something. This is the overstimulated Clark, and um, this is also the introduction to the um, disjointed storytelling, the, the the Quentin Tarantino esque storytelling style which actually I think is more from the comics there there was a version of the comics that um, they had me read that that told the story in a very similar way in a broken up disjointed manner but the thing is you should have a reason for doing that and I know they were aware that they should have a reason for doing this and they sort of write it in by giving a connection to each flashback he has somewhat but it doesn't they don't um, resonate with each other really and here we go this is really gonna date it the the modern grunge uh, the 90s grunge song I guess it sort of goes well with the West Coast, you know, sort of Portland at rainy atmosphere, but come on. And here's another thing: Superman doesn't steal. I'll, I'll, this is a modern story, so they're trying to be realistic. And here's another thing where we're gonna run into modern problems where we didn't run into them on Krypton. Um, and we run into in the real world. This is a modern Superman. This is this is a more mature, quote, mature and realistic portrayal of what would happen to a person like Superman if they came to Earth. Well, A, that's impossible, really, to do. It's not impossible, but it's impossible to really do it and keep the idea of the Superman character And here we have an at attempt, sort of, at a character moment, but it's not. It's 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 an establishing moment of where this guy's the bully, and it says, "Here's the bully," but we don't get Clark just being a kid. On you know, give us a couple shots of him, um, maybe sitting there while the other kids are having fun around him, or or something to show just the normal everyday state of things 
but instead it's just like here's our character the bully here's I uh, you know I think that's supposed to be Lana Lang or whatever so it's like here's here's these characters boom they're underwater <laughs> now and they're dying I think and I wish I could remember the name of it it was based on the John Irving novel uh, prayer for Owen Meany and it was uh, they changed the kids name and that was the name of the movie there was a very similar scene with him saving a school bus obviously not with super strength like this but this is this is a pretty good scene Clark saves a day without visibly saving the day you know, very plausibly, he could have just been washed out the back of the bus. Nobody knows what happened. Maybe there was an air bubble that pushed the bus up. Who knows? But he pretty plausibly gets away with not showing his superpowers here. They, they, they did a good job of showing that. And, okay, here's another fake, fake character moment where, that you know, okay, he saves a bully, blah, blah, blah. But at the, at the same time, it's just there to show, okay, Clark can get, you know, he's a good guy. He's going to save the guy who was bullying him moments before. But there's no scene of the bully saying thanks. There's no scene between the two of them. And now it's becoming a problem. Now that, that thing that just happened is a problem in, in this story with Pa Pa Kent and here we come to my one of my major gripes in this movie the character of Pa Kent um and this this scene in particular is a well acted scene these these two actors are are acting well around each other but we're not getting a real character moment we're not getting you know please we just need a little bit of daily life around the Kent farm Ma and Pa, you know, having breakfast in the morning, even if it's just, a sh you know, you really, you only have to put 10 or 20 seconds at the most of them chit-chatting about the farm before they go off and Clark getting ready for school, just so you know what normal is. And in this, this movie, you're getting all the key moments condensed down like a commercial into the most... Um, uh, a lot of these scenes are are shot and done to to get a around of something visual that's coming out of them rather than the emotional area. Although this is a fairly effective scene, I hate I hate the handheld camera. It drives me nuts. This scene and this scene too, I um are are good scenes well acted kevin costner does a great job as as playing pa kent but i don't like pa kent and that's not kevin costner's fault because he only has the lines that he has to say you know and the things that he has to do to do so pa kent is written as kind of a jerk i mean this is a, a, a simple quote-unquote, well, not quote-unquote, but, you know, a simple farmer, salt-of-the-earth type guy. His son just saved a whole school bus full of kids and did it without really giving himself away. And the, the, the parents that were there were talking about the miracle. I, it, it didn't seem 
as much they were talking about Clark being the miracle as just like it's a miracle that that bus didn't go underwater and drown those kids and really when you if you took apart what those kids could have seen they just saw Clark standing outside the bus outside of an open door with water rushing out so he could have been washed out of the bus there's no reason to assume that he lifted the bus out if you're a kid you would probably would assume that he lifted the bus out because that's how kids think but no no adult is going to take you seriously and Kevin Costner did exactly all that he had to do to cover up that situation and go to the woman I know the kids I like the, I like this part where he tells him that he is a son very very nice acting um, f few and far between but I'm not gonna count it as a real character moment either although it I guess it is I gotta give it that but it's once again it's an expositional moment it's it's they're building his psychology and uh, they're doing it very clumsily. Oh, and now we're gonna flash forward again to the Clark who has just basically ignored his dad's advice <laughs> by you know coming out and saving a bunch of people. And now we're getting the another expositional character moment. That um, and we're getting a story expositional moment where he's gonna, you know, he's finding out about the uh, military discovery. So okay, set up totally. Th I mean, this is pure comic book <laughs> scene. This guy is just so stereotypically a douche. All right, cannot Clark plausibly kick this guy's ass without him being outed as a superhero from that point on <laughs> when the guy okay he's a brick shit house in a real written scene from a movie mr. douchebag there would start getting a little bit of doubt as to who you know who he's picked a fight with but instead, he's going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. But, no, we're, we're seeing now, this is telling us, Clark takes the high road. He takes the high road and, and listens to the waitress. It wasn't worth it. And, in the meantime... Oh, Lordy B. He's done something even more mysterious. Where are all the... I would have new... There would be news trucks there, even in Pisswater, Alaska. The, the whole town would be out going... What the hell was that? And how did it happen so silently <laughs> with nobody seeing it? It's uh, that scene is sort of gratifying in a raw emotional nerd sense as where okay, Clark didn't beat up the bully, but he got his revenge. But it just doesn't make sense. It causes more problems than it solves and then it's dropped. Just like everything uh, everything in Clark's scattered past here, you know, um, he disappeared, I mean, I'm taking it, he disappeared off that fish, the greenhorn disappeared off the the fishing boat, wasn't there an up, you know, he's doing all these things that would cause an uproar, they would look for him, and why would he disappear off the fishing boat, they didn't even go near the the burning oil tanker. More 
more expositional stuff. And here we have, okay, here we have Lois Lane. I, uh, iconic character. Being introduced. Still, no true character moment with her. This is, this is an awkward character moment attempt here where she's they're showing she's tough and she's smart and she's she's not afraid to stand up to the military guy and say dick measuring contest but it's just you can you could have done that without doing it you know what I mean without having it be such an overt thing it's something she said it's not part of her essence her essence of Lois Lane should come out and show them that she can butt heads with this guy instead of her basically saying look I'm tough and smart and I'll I'll butt heads with you it's it's basically how this the whole story in this this movie is told and being being tough and smart she's still kind of disapp you know still sort of like uh, tinkle uh. but we're given all the tropes of her being funky spite feisty and all that by her doing things and saying things but they're all just tied in with sending the you know story forward the, the, this movie never relaxes and just lets people be for even a minute or two and build their characters into somebody you know and love I mean knowing and loving Lois Lane you can do that sort of automatically say if you're into, into Superman and into the characters you're like here's Lois Lane there's a lot of baggage attached to that there's a lot of assumptions as to what kind of person she is and what her role is and we're not really let down on those assumptions if you know Lois Lane is a as a reporter gets herself into you know dangerous situations and is very driven and all that you have that already coming in and okay it's Lois Lane we can make those assumptions but us making those assumptions and the filmmaker making those assumptions are two different things uh, the filmmaker I, I think to successfully pull off like say a Lois Lane has two sort of approaches that they could take with this and it would the, the first one would be Boom, there's Lois Lane. This is sort of what this movie does. They took this approach. Here's Lois Lane. You know who she is. Um, we're just going to let her go. That one can work if the, per the character is energetic enough, vital enough that we're picking that up. But with her, she's telling us that. And sort of showing us that by like going out in the 40 degree cold, negative 40 degree cold, which doesn't make it. She definitely is not dressed for negative 40. Or they could have gone, which I would have done, 
straight from scratch, assume nobody knows who this woman is. <laughs> and build up her character from that, especially if you're trying to do a reimagining, re-envisioning. Set it up. Let us know who she is through her character. Oh, the the classic. The classic. <laughs> the Oh, somebody needs to talk to me. They stand at the end of the hall and mysteriously walk. Hello? Is anybody there? At this point, so far, nothing has happened. We're 40 minutes into this movie. Not a thing has happened. We're, we're still sort of just treading water. Nothing important to the stories happened. It's all just set up in an origin. We're, we're ostensibly inside this spaceship slash whatever it is, you know, um, past Kryptonian outpost. I guess that's something happening. But it's really just put here to give us a chance to get some super exposition with um with with Jorel and some some useless action for, for that makes no sense with with Lois Lane. So here we go. The historic first meeting of Clark Kent and Lois Lane. And and he saves her life and and gets her out of danger. What is what is it that attracts these two to each other? What is it uh, that attracts Lois to, to Clark and Clark to Lois? Are we going to see any of it here? No, what we're going to see is all of a sudden Clark is no surgery <laughs> and can heal an internal wound by heat vision. That's plausible, but just ice fishing Clark, you know, 22-year-old on Earth Clark, come on. But I forgive stuff like that because it's a comic book movie. But what do, you know, okay, what what have Lois and Clark done in their interaction now to attract, you know, obviously he's, he's a super-powered guy who saved her life. Yeah, she might have the hots for him in, in a sort of primal sense. And she's a cute reporter or whatever, so he might be attracted to her. She might find her attractive. But what do they know about each other? What, and, um... I'm going to keep going on about that because we're never going to see what it is that attracts these two characters. And I don't want to hear any bullshit about fate and, uh, uh, you know, it was meant to be or, or, or whatever because it doesn't really pursue that either. That's, that's just a, it, that's an easy answer to it, but it could be a plausible answer if that was supported in the, in the storyline. If this was a whole storyline about fate, maybe. But I think that's lazy writing anyway. It, it, it gives you that it gives you an excuse not to 
really have to develop the characters. And even if they just develop the character of Superman, which basically, this that's what this whole movie is. It's basically a series of flashbacks, you know, leading up to an end sequence that shows the psychology of Kal-El and what would lead him to become Superman. And as such, it really doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, so far we've got, at this, at this point in the timeline we're in, we've got a, a Clark Kent whose father has told him, you are of great significance to the world, great cosmic si significance to the world. But you really got to squash that until such a time when it's the right time and you're ready for it or some vague, you know, something. He doesn't really say maybe, you know, eventually you're going to have to or whatever. It's, he's basically just squash it and you've done a bad thing by taking, by using your powers. So that's all we know about Clark's psychology now and that he knows that he's not of Earth, that Clark has another daddy and mommy, and he wants to find himself. Very standard, very, very just boilerplate story arc stuff. Um, what do you expect from a summer blockbuster? That's pretty much how they do it these days. Just not usually this awkwardly. All right, now we're coming to another thing. Jor-El, or I'm assuming this Jor-El came from the little Superman key. This Jor-El is, is, I mean, I'm not, I've never seen Star Trek Voyager, but I know they have the computer simulated doctor who has a personality this Joel has a personality. He's he's an Im he can improvise dialogue. Um, he can improvise action. He's obviously not physical because he has to have other people do things for him. But I guess is he conscious? Is is this? Did he sort of save himself? Why didn't he just send himself? And to that point, why, when he was making all this preparation, did not he make a, a key copy of his wife? <laughs> and so then young Kal-El could meet his mother. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be a friendly thing? I love this sort of super Disney diorama, <laughs> future land thing. But once again, here we are just getting exposition and I'll, I'll admit this is an imaginative way to illustrate the exposition all this that we have here was could have been filled in in the Krypton sequence in the beginning with, with the genetics and I don't think he attempted a coup. I think he pretty much, uh, well, he pulled it off for a, a short time. <laughs> so, 
basically what he's telling us is everybody on Krypton committed suicide by not leaving and then took the worst example of Kryptonians and sent them somewhere where they're still alive. <laughs> so the only Kryptonians that really got saved are him and the, the Phantom Zone villains, I guess we'll call them. <laughs> what kind of advanced race is this? <laughs> what kind of advanced... <coughs> pardon me, thinkers are these guys that they just let an entire race be blown up it doesn't make a lick of sense in reality and here we here we have once again this is supposed to be a more realistic portrayal of superman now i'm not taking that like out of the press releases or or hype for this movie of like we're making a realistic that's just the modern trope of filmmaking trying to make it seem as if it could happen and in comics too ever since you know the 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 late 80s it's been like sort of an experiment let's let's see what these and it was a novelty at first let's see what these characters that were supposed to exist in non reality and sort of a kiddie reality in some ways and how they would make sense in, in our own and it's gotten to the point where it's not a novelty anymore it's just a trope and uh, it gets it can get really silly because come on I mean we, we have the story of an alien with, with superpowers who puts on a costume and is a superhero and all that so there's just an amount of silliness to embrace now this I think for a lot of people is the big the big scene the big thing and it's nicely shot it's nicely realized although it's so processed and so iconic and has so much gravity to it that it loses any feel of spontaneity and also to that effect it loses all it's it doesn't it doesn't lose it doesn't have in the first place the emotional resonance that it really should by us knowing this superman knowing this person feeling clark kent you know feeling him and identifying him as a person and then being him flying and, and sharing that with him we're I mean visually we're getting it and this is a I this is a very nicely represented version of what Superman would look like flying and crashing um, the special effects are really good there's a lot of weirdness with things happening in the background and I'll point it out more when like skyscrapers are falling out where the sound is muted with things that should be huge sounds like those boulders rolling down the hill in the snow should have been a bit louder and I think that was done. this was a loud movie in the theater I think a lot of that was done just not to drive the audience nuts but you see 
we're getting all what we're supposed to feel and know about Clark from the from Jor-El's voice playing in his head here, not by things that he's we've seen of him or he's done. Everything that we've seen or done has been just to fill in a point in a character arc that's not really thought out and a story arc. We don't, uh, maybe a lot of that has to do with not having, you know, our sort of um, nerdy Clark Kent to think of as the human side of him. Although, uh, you know, so far this is the first portrayal of him in his suit. But, um, <laughs> which he got from his Kryptonian dad instead of his mom. But anyway, whatever, you know, modern retelling. Um, the music, I really would have liked, I guess this is a theme, maybe something melodic to it. Um, it's not bad, but it's just sort of your standard rhythmic environmental music. Alright, now, okay, so Lois is obsessed with the guy who saved her life. He's following his <laughs> horribly obvious trail. <laughs> but here we could have a sequence of why Lois falls in love with Clark. All the elements are here. By by investigating him, she learns things about, you know, the person that is Clark Kent and has a lot of ad admiration for him. And sh I guess, okay, at this point she knows um, that he's, he's a, he's a, he's a lifesaver. He's, he's a helper. But that's not enough to plausibly put them in. It may be enough to plausibly put her in love with him. But between the two of them, to have something actually um, between the two of them. Oh, here we go. We have some potential here. And what do we get? It's two people talking to each other, questions and answers, and, you know, movie, movie dialogue. They're, they're, the, the setting's a cemetery. I, I think it's just, it has a lot to do with the, them not being at the Daily Planet and you know in 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 the the trope of where clark is a reporter at the daily planet oh my god here we come to the biggest part um that really drives me nuts but you know when when clark is a reporter at the daily planet nobody knows that he's superman lois doesn't know he can fall in love with lois he can, you know he can see her in her you know with her foibles and her and interact with her in day-to-day -day life and, and get to know her. In this, he saved her life once, 
and then they met in a in a in in a graveyard and uh and had some dialogue back and forth pretty soon they'll meet again you know when he's in custody and have a little bit of dialogue all right here's we here's where we come to the second suicide scene um this could have been the the best part of the movie in my opinion this could have been the most superman-y part of the movie and it was a and it's a good opportunity for the writer to do something with the Pa Kent character. His character, his personality, his person, who he is. Um, instead, they do just the opposite and they do a, a, a terrible thing. They just, they just make him even more of a douche, in my opinion. See? Okay. First, first thing. The dog's in the car. Here comes, I mean, here comes a tornado. A, tornado that close, it's still gonna be pretty crazy there. This guy's a farmer. Farmers are not romantic about pets. They love their animals, they love their pets. That tornado's coming. You know, I hope Buffy gets out of the car and, 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 and makes it. Otherwise, we're gonna have to get a new dog. You know, a, a salt of the earth farmer is not going to go back after a dog, endanger his life when he has a family. Oh, and look, the dog lives. Oh, thank God. Um, so once again, we have to have Pa Kent get injured so he, he can't get away himself. All right. Oh, I hate this scene. This is so bad. Oh, oh, my leg. Oh, my leg. I can't go anywhere. Now we have this moment, everybody's watching, or whatever, and he tells Clark, don't do it, don't, don't reveal yourself, it's not worth it. He martyrs himself, it's a suicide. Plain and simple, right there. What a jerk, he killed himself, basically he killed himself in front of his wife, and kid, and dog, and the whole town, although the town doesn't know it. Although the town, I mean, even a normal son who doesn't have superpowers probably would have still ran to try to save his dad. And that would have been a heart-rending scene if the normal son was running towards his dad and his dad said, no, don't, don't do it. It's better that I die and not both of us. But in this case, here we had an opportunity to show... And this is what we're not going to see in this. We see the physical power of Superman. We don't see the mental, that he's also meant smart and inventive. Um, that scene would have been the perfect opportunity for him to figure out a way. And there's 8 million ways that he could have done it. He could have blown up with his super breath, blown up a bunch of dust so nobody could see what was going on around him, run over, grabbed his dad, whipped at super speed, to somewhere safe plopped his dad down and and then been back behind the crowd in a second and shown his dad hey look <laughs> it's possible to, to to do it you know he could have had a moment with his dad where his dad was like you know thank you for saving my life maybe you shouldn't have done it but you could have had a, a little bit of a softening between him in Clark or more of an understanding 
of the situation. Uh, uh, just terrible. And I missed another opportunity to point out that um, you could have had some scenes with Perry and Lois that were good character moments where, you know, it was just day-by-day -day life in the, the office. Instead, you have them arguing over a story point and Lois plainly stating, I'm a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. Just from a writing standpoint, that's so horrible. So horrible. Another, the, uh, now we're getting into some place where we could we could learn more about these two guys' character. Back to normal, normal Clark life. But it's all gonna, going to be just scenes of import in in Clark's life. We're seeing like all the important moments and none of the unimportant moments. And the unimportant moments in a lot of ways define your character and then the important moments cement your character by, you know, the unimportant moments set what a nice guy Clark is, maybe you know how he wants to protect his or has a general benevolence for his adopted race and all that but you know that doesn't get put to the test till there's some existential crisis and then he has to live what his philosophy is we don't get that in here we 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 just basically get the points where he he's doing the things he's doing but you didn't have to see him A struggle of the word maybe or go through the process of how he formed that 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 basis you know a, a lot of it is man pa kent a lot of it is okay his human parents that's where the the you know these people that he loves as his own parents who've brought him up and taught him to be a good person and it's there we don't see it. It's just sort of stated. So we're uh, now not even halfway through the movie. We're an hour into the movie. And still really nothing has happened besides an origin story now uh, this is this is the point actually in the movie one hour and two minutes in to where we're brought to bitter reality the the moment in time where the storyline where the where the where the chickens come home to roost hey who's that lady oh that's right she's a character we're supposed to know uh, there's a bunch of characters that we could know here, but we're not going to. We're not going to see them interacting in daily life here. We, we see them at the moment where the story element happens. And I'm not saying make a movie about these characters in normal life. I'm just saying incorporate it into the movie. It's what makes it... It's what gives it life. What yeah. gives m real movies life? So that, that's what, why Steven Spielberg was such a popular director, is he knew how to just sit back 
and show that family just being a family and the chaos and the affection and the the different characters bouncing off each other we're not given that in here and I really think that Zack Snyder's style is sort of the movie equivalent of high functioning autism where visually and symbolically he sees what the movies are saying he can break a movie down and say alright they take this part of the movie and they explain this and they show this and it builds up to a battle at the end this is so so not how an alien uh, advanced alien culture would contact us with a video editor montage through it's such a it's it's like they're trying too hard to make it realistic to the point of where it becomes implausible um this is a very superman trope the whole world you know seeing the whole world watching it all right so here we go the story begins the very plausible story. I come from a world far I have journeyed across this ocean of stars to reach For some time your world has Now the speech Not bad. But, from a technical aspect, let's just point this out. His voice is very clean and rich on such a shitty broadcast. And such a weird, like, badly con condensed YouTube video looking feed to the whole world. I, I would have gone for just General Zod's face. Not this, and and man, he's got the mask from Prometheus <laughs> from the. Okay, this would be a real pickle if, by this point, we cared for everybody in this movie. If at this point we knew everybody in this movie, I mean seriously, and. You know, I should say, I should have said this right at the top. I know there's a lot of people who really like this movie, and don't take it as a criticism of you for liking this movie. If you like this movie and enjoy it, then you win. You got a, a Superman movie that you can watch. But I just wonder, like, at this point, to the, to the people who, who enjoy this movie, maybe you're enjoying it for different reasons than I am, but... I mean, how do you how do you feel about the any of the characters so far? How many of these characters do you feel that you really know and and know in the context of this movie? I mean, we know these characters and we can fill in a lot of the emotional blanks because Lois Lane, Superman, Perry White, but if you had and this is like pretty much impossible if you had none of that 
if you knew if you were coming into this not knowing who any of these characters were except maybe that guy from CS, one of the CSI shows or whatever would you oh god oh man come on here we go um what would you feel about these people? What would you know about them? How would you connect with any of them on an emotional level? And for what reason? This part... To me... Is... This is a good... In theory, standard Superman scene. This should have been way back there. It, it really does not... Does not have any place here, story-wise, logic-wise. Um, if, if you notice, like, say, in any other movie, a lot... Okay, it's here to tell us that, you know, the former bully is now now his friend because he saved his life uh, just a waste of there's there's some good acting in this movie these the, the, the actors are all good actors for the most part and they could make these these characters breathe they're trying. Oh my god, it's just like Star Trek. They're trying. They want to. They put their work in. They they You know, Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner, this is this is a walk in the park for him. It's the, the salt of the earth character. The the good decent character. That's a very Kevin Costner like, oh god, here we go. This part really irks me. Um, I had a conversation on Facebook with a friend of mine a little while ago, and she was asking why, 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 why all the science fiction superhero movies go for the sort of Christianity or Jesus thing at some point in it. And, and I don't know if she was maybe wondering why they don't go for some other religion or something. I mean, it's obvious to me. We, it's a movie made in American... America for American audiences who are mostly Christian you want to put some sort of deep philosophical greater than us undertone in it that's the easiest shorthand to go through is the, the Jesus thing I mean this puts Jesus right in the background there he is on the on the stained glass window we've set up the whole thing of you know, Clark sent his son to, you know, protect the humans, and the humans don't know what... It, it's unnecessary. The Jesus stuff is already there in the subtext of Superman. You don't need to hammer it home. I, I don't know. It's, it's Zack Snyder, though. He doesn't... He does not understand our human emotions. I like this. I like... Um, this 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 sequence, um, it's very comic booky. That that Superman floating down out of the sky has been in a lot of comic books lately, and it's a neat image. Um, it's a very sort of I like that Superman sort of does a little power play with them. 
where he, he, you know, when he surrenders, he's up in the air, though, with the high ground, you know. He's showing them, look, <laughs> I'm, I can fly, <laughs> but I'm surrendering. And um, once again, here we're given a character moment between Clark and Lois where these characters that are falling in love and we're basically given bar chat there maybe bar chat of some people who like have been in the office and like think each other are hot and so now they're sort of feeling each other out a little bit but it's <laughs> it's all also um by the by the books you know question answer question answer um I think it's very plausible that sort of this would how it would be how it would play out with Superman in custody by the military. I think it's a total, totally ridiculous conceit to have Lois involved in there. I think they aren't just artificially bent the story to get Lois in this this situation with Clark and later on into Zod's spaceship. And I like I, 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 I like how he sort of casually keeps showing them how powerful he is while at the same time, you know, saying, Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a threat and and good acting between he and the the general there. It where you you're picking up from the general that yeah, just through his facial expressions, he kinda trusts him on a automatically on a just a visceral level but all the googly eyes that we got here in this movie th at this and this scene and and this there this is not earned their relationship here has not been earned up to this point unless it's in a fate faded sort of way faded soulmates type of um story which is lazy 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 writing Now, when I was in the movie at this point, I was thinking, maybe I can relax now and stop worrying about the bad writing because now we have the giant dune flea landing and we're going to get action. Now, let's say what I will about Zack Snyder. He's a, he's a visually arresting director. I'm not as big on his action scenes. I, I think he does spectacular action scenes and will have certain really arresting visual qualities to them, whether they be really realistic or fantastical or whatever. But I think in the end, his action sequences don't engage you in them. You just sort of watch it happen, which is sort of to, to get out of the critique of it watching it now I'll talk about seeing it in the movie theater I saw it 
two days after opening in a packed for Rochester, I would say three quarters full um, theater of people who seemed really jazzed to see it. You know, there was murmurs in the crowd when it got go when it started up. And um, maybe this is just an unfortunate trope of modern stuff, but action movies and stuff. Uh, uh, no, it's not because the Avengers exist, and I saw Avengers in a the theater with a crowd, where people got sucked in. They, they felt for the personalities of the characters. So when the characters were in an action situation, that theater was in a frenzy. People hooting, hollering, cheering, without even thinking about it. Something would happen, and it would make you go, "Oh my God, yes!" In here we had pretty much um, people watching. They weren't groaning, but they weren't cheering. They were just watching it as it happened, including the, the you know, intense action scenes. And uh, I'm not saying the movie should pander to the audience. As a matter of fact, this movie really has very few pandery moments to it and to its credit. That's one of the things of quote-unquote modernized movies that I do like, is they don't have the stupid pandery moments like, say, Return of the Jedi with with um, Chewbacca doing a, a Tarzan cry or something just, you know, obviously meant to make people cheer. It's not in this. So that's, that's, I guess, a good thing. And here we have another um, lost, lost, lost opportunity. We have the two characters finally meeting, General Zod and, and, and Kal-El. At this point, Kal-El should have a, an amount of say hostility towards General Zod because he's talked to his father and he knows that this is a guy responsible for his father's death but if we were really into both of these characters into their heads this scene could just be full of so much import as General Zod tries to seduce Clark into his side um which is this the holodeck scene here um now i'm not saying we should have a moment of temptation of true temptation for clark where he actually is sort of like yeah these people have you know whatever kind of screwed me over cuz they haven't the the people of earth i mean okay he's had a little bullying when he was a kid and run into a jerk at a at a bar but for the most part it seems like his interaction with humans is for the most part positive um, maybe if they'd illustrated how hellish his life had been amongst the humans and how he'd been treated as a pariah and an outcast we could have a good scene here where where Zod actually makes him think, you know, hey, maybe I should get back to my roots. Maybe this is who I am. Um, they don't do that. 
what what ends up happening is here we go more exposition and this exposition kind of hurts earlier parts of the story it, while trying to explain it by saying okay maybe they I maybe they're trying to do this I don't want to give them credit for saying this is why the Kryptonians didn't leave their planet because that they were unsuccessful with their other colonies but that's bullshit too because it's uh, apparently they didn't know what happened to their other colonies they didn't check on them or anything and it took General Zod going to visit them to find out what had happened um, so once again what we have is a scene in here that's just supposed to be in here it's the Zack Snyder, Snyder's specialty it's the I don't understand humans. It's okay, we need a scene of this and humans have emotions that do this and this. So we have to show that in this scene. And yeah, why am I getting down on Zack Snyder? He didn't write this shit. It was David Goyer who wrote this. So I I personally think Zack Snyder is like a a minor bird where if you give him a script, he will just take that script, they probably turn it into storyboards, and he will make it. He probably won't go, ah, I don't like this dialogue here, or I don't like this story. I bet he just takes that script and reads it and goes, okay, and once he likes it, once he finds a script he likes, he, he'll just do it. He'll just adapt, he'll just visually represent what's on the paper. So, if you have good dialogue and good actors, they can they can do a lot of the work. They know how to act together. You know, when you have a co veteran like Costner, and 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 to Cavill's credit, I did not think he looked right as Superman in the pre-press pictures of it. He looked too bulky and kind of rockabilly douchey. Does he's fine in this? He's he's a good actor. He's he's playing what he has, but it's almost as if Goyer, and this is a, a common complaint with him, takes, I can sense that he's taken character beats and situations and little elements from other Superman stories, put them in a blender so that everybody can get a little bit of their Superman that they want. But that does something where it takes all those scenes out of their original context and where they might have once had more significance, now they're in here just to sort of, not as much be an Easter egg, it's just, I think, lazy writing. Instead of coming up with a, a real story, you take base elements from one story and embellish it with scenes from other takes on it. Um, you know, mostly in this case, the Superman origin, um, which we've seen a few times already. Um, oh. All right. Now they've got some of Superman's blood, right? Doesn't that give them everything they wanted from the Codex? Codex, maybe. Maybe I'm under standing the codex wrong maybe it doesn't really matter if I fucking understand the codex or not but now they have a blood sample from Superman 
I just don't get it. It's it's not. These are not how real uh, people, although some of them I guess aren't people, but people with real motivations act. General Zod can be a ruthless bastard. I mean, I mean, I should say his character is. You're allowed to make him a ruthless bastard, but if you're gonna make him one, you know, the whole conceit that Kryptonians are are bred to do certain things, and he's bred to be a, a general and to protect Kryptonians, it was done pretty horribly. He's not doing that, really. He's All his motivations are off revenge, and they're not off of... Even though he repeatedly will say, all I'm doing is trying to preserve my race. He's not. He's not at all. He's just he's taking out his revenge on the L family and the world they've adopted and it doesn't make sense uh, unless he's insane <laughs> and again that's easy that's just like Nero in the first Star Trek movie it's just like this guy has so, Nero has so many opportunities to save his lost race and he's gone back in time and could do all that stuff yet yeah, instead he's just planning on Did you do that? Yeah. See just way too much so much personality from the simulation of Jorel. I'm almost assuming that basically Jorel lives. <laughs> you know, why why is he even a, a dead character? <laughs> why why didn't uh, why didn't why didn't a lot of Kryptonians make little keys and shoot them off into space? <laughs> this is basically the Matrix. <laughs> this is basically the the scene where Neo's navigating through his uh, his office. This music is very. <laughs> I don't know why he has to make those hand movements to I mean obviously I understand he's he's part of the ship so he can open the door why does he have to do those little fancy pants so why May I ask everybody, is all this happening? Why is, why is Lois Lane, why was Lois Lane brought up into space in the first place? Um, what does it, what does it add to the story? What does it add to her character? Um, her meeting with Jor-El and her escape from this, except just to have something happening and you gotta have it happen to Lois Lane because she's a love interest. What 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 necessary role did she play in this whole sequence? It was really none, as far as the story element goes. Jesus, it's Jesus. I don't mind that. I don't. I don't mind. I like the sort of. Um, physics of Superman in space. Visually, there's there's a lot for the 
the Superman fetishist in this in isolated shots. Um, there's there's shots at a time that go okay. That's what Superman would look like doing superheroes. Okay, now we know why Superman, why Lois was there, just so Superman could save her right here. And I don't know if that would protect her from the heat of that blast <laughs> so much. Now, if Zod were as crazy and evil as um, as he claims, and sociopathic as he's supposed to be, why is Mod Kent alive at the end of the sequence? Why isn't Smallville literally just leveled? Is this a bonding moment? Yes, it is, but it's just... It's... It's... It's somebody who doesn't understand real people going... We need them to have a, a moment where they've shared something. They both shared the Kryptonian mind rape. Oh, right out of Prometheus. She should be dead right there. Where are the plans? <laughs> Chuck her up against the wall. Oh, better acting than Star Wars, though. She at least didn't block her fall. Don't you get a sense that that car didn't really, you know, this is this is a CGI complaint, that that car didn't really crash into the house? Okay. Now. <laughs> 7-Eleven blowing up. Cost 7-Eleven some big bucks for that. Now, now we're getting into the summer blockbuster, the money, the money part of the the show. Now we get the the cool scenes of of fighting and stuff. I'm not going to be one of those guys who criticizes. I have because I mean to be honest, my idea of the character of Superman is is definitely not the the Superman in this movie. It's definitely not the world of of this this movie. Uh, not because I don't like as much what they're doing with the Superman character. I just don't think they do. They they really know what they were doing. Uh, such an obvious product placement with that 7-Eleven, and when we see Sears too. 
product placement's good, but man, there's look, there it is again. Th th those are literally these shots had to be composed with the thought of making Seven Eleven. There was probably a, definitely there was a contract saying you must see Seven Eleven for this much time and probably this quadrant of the screen so people can see it clearly. You have to make sure that they see it. So you get those force moments. But, you know, I mean, I... Superman to me is the the Renaissance Man Boy Scout, you know, he's... Or, or whatever, he's Clark Kent and all that. Whatever. I'm not going to level that against this movie because that's not what they're going for in this movie. So I can only really ju I can judge it by what I want it to be or I can judge it by what it is and actually judging it by what it is I guess is even harsher than judging it by what I want to be because I could I guess I could plausibly project what I want Superman to be into this movie although it makes it really hard for to project my version and to another example like Scott Gardner could never project his version of Superman into this he could break this down into a few short sequences where you go where you go that is that looks cool <laughs> that's something I've wanted to see Superman do on screen physically in just a visceral aspect but that wouldn't be enough to the, the rest of it would be so frustrating and infuriating to watch because you're not watching the person that you want to watch do what what you want to see him do Except for a couple, you know, a, a collection of seconds through the whole movie. Um, that's a cool scene, but I saw the Hulk do that. <laughs> and it, it felt more... Uh, and, you know, bitches, I bitch and bitch about characterization. Oh, hey, some more product placement. This... They hadn't gotten it in yet, so in this last um, this last hour of the movie, they're really gonna have to pummel it home. You are weak, this is all watchable. It's good to see Superman fighting and punching and uh, destroy. You know, in a in a destructive battle. I'm I'm not gonna bitch about the the risk to people and the body count and all that because once again that's what the story is it's it's a more realistic Superman you would get the body count my Superman would use his brain to figure out how to lure these people away from people or to 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 make it a lesser you know little damage control but that's not the character we have here. Not really sure who this character is. <laughs> um, I'm assuming in the context of the movie, this is a Superman who's just doesn't really know what he's doing yet. He's he's fresh and young, doesn't really have his his moral compass set perfectly. He has a general idea, and he's not used to fighting. Obviously, fighting supervillains or doing anything. So he's learning as he goes along, which means thousands of people are going to die. Alright. That's acceptable in a futuristic real... That was a cool scene where 
he grabbed his leg and Superman is trying to fly and he just pulled him back. I mean, this is where, this is where the thought comes into this movie. This is where the director, in, in the case of the director especially, this is where the director is really putting his, his skills set that he has and his, his energy into is how would these fights look cool? Not enough for me. And as far as looking cool, yes, there are some really neat Superman physics moments, but at the same time, we're running into the problem that we run into with, uh, with CG moments. Yep. That's my Superman there. And that's a, and that's a neat scene. Um, where you can you can have a million things going on and you can have it realistically portrayed in this epic way with CG and yet it never looks a hundred percent real and they're trying here hey 7-eleven they're trying here they're doing CG camera wiggle that's cool too seen the super villain move in the sort of jerky super speed um this would this this could have been a good moment too if we if we liked this character but I think if anybody's like you know I really like that guy the reason they really liked him is because they recognize the actor. He's playing his standard sort of character. So we put into what he what he's supposed to be. That he's, you know, I mean, shorthand, he's the he's the all-American general. He's kind of got the faults of a general where he's like rah-rah military, but at the same time he's a reasonable guy and he's a brave guy cuz he's going to fight her even though it know he knows it, it it means he's gonna die but we don't really know him we haven't had anything that's shown that that's about him until actually right now we'll, we'll we see that okay he's he's gonna he's a fight to the death kind of guy once again it's kind of a story thing rather than just a, a character moment that being said, for all the attention that they made in this movie of having every scene sort of being a story scene, or you know, a battle sequence, um, they could have made this movie a lot shorter. There's a, not a lot that happens in this movie, if you really think about it. There's a, there, when you take all the set pieces and you break it down, into, you know, origin, the discovery of the outpost and Jor-El, which is all basically exposition and, and origin, and then General Zod's attempt to kill Kal-El and, and terraform the planet. That's basically what happens in this movie. You could do that in an hour and a half, in a really tight hour and a half in a lot of cases you would miss out on a lot of um, a potential character development 
but they don't have it in the first place in here really so you could really trim this down into more of a, almost a pure action movie a slam bam superman movie if they don't if you took out the parts where they're trying to um build his character <laughs> where where they're writing the you know this is superman's psychology cuz his psychology doesn't work he's got two suicide dads and you, okay this is what they're setting up as as superman's psyche you know the the standard an 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 alien on a strange world but he had two dads his earth dad being a, a sort of squasher and his real dad being like sort of like the sugar daddy dad you know the divorce dad who's like hey here's all the good stuff superpowers and you got to help these people and stuff whereas down to earth dad was a guy who was like hey put a squash on it really that's kind that that sets up a messed up dichotomy in his brain but it doesn't really we don't have that messed up superman um i mean okay maybe it seems a little obvious for him to get his humanity from his his parents but the impetus i would just more realistically to become a superhero i would think would be more from his parents than from jor-el i i they don't really um he doesn't they don't illustrate any hostility towards jor-el he uh, psychologically as an orphan he, he should have a little bit of uh, hostility whether it's rational or not for his parents there's a lot of uh, you, there's a lot of psychology you could put into the character if you really wanted to do it but they don't they don't really want to do it they want the appearance that they do it and this is a this is a critique of of um okay so yeah so Kal-El has has all this in him they have his blood they don't need him anymore they can go on to another planet and just uh, no he doesn't we already have his cells though so what does it matter we got a big old bottle of his cells release the world engine release the kraken and here we get basically the last act of the first star trek 2009 where instead of a giant drill boring it even looks like the giant drills that bore into it and it has the same this is this is what's going to date it to those those zooms those cgi zooms where nobody even turned a a piece of machinery unnecessary dialogue unnecessary scene except to tell us where it's going to be but we don't really need to know that and and once again <clears throat> we have these forced writing things where they're, they're going to set up a situation a pickle let's say for Kal-El and that is okay you've got two of these things doing their doing their thing on opposite sides of the world 
one of them in your hometown ostensibly um you know how do you how do you you know what do you have to do to to defeat both of them lots lots of pickles presented for him here how do you fight a world engine in villains with a whole metropolitan city around you without killing thousands of people how do you do this how do you do that all of it's really kind of glossed over and that's to be expected in the summer movie there this is not a movie that as a summer movie that's I guess supposed to make you think it'd be nice if it did I I mean sometimes they do and when they do those are the special movies I guess you know there's been a lot of bile and anger towards this movie by the people who don't like it and uh, in some ways I guess that's not fair because it's no worse than say a Transformers movie and stuff but the problem is Superman is a character that people really hold in high regard that really like means a lot to a lot of people and to the people who get into Superman in that way it's it's as much about Superman as a character as it is about what the things he does the cool things that he does in the so if you're one of those people and I'm not saying the people who like this don't care about Superman as a character they just have a different sense of Superman as a character than the people who maybe have more of an old-fashioned or a traditional sense of Superman as a character a less modern sense Um, you should know what terraforming is if you're working in such a high-tech industry. But you need to ask that so that they can tell the audience. And I'll tell you what, the audience knows what terraforming is, too. It's it's always... I, I love these trying-to-be-realistic movies because you can't. This uh, The supervillains have put two terraforming super-engines on the Earth that are going to change us into another planet and destroy us, you know, in a, in a ridiculously short amount of time just does not um, shore up with reality at all. So, um, why try? <laughs> why try in the first place? I, I think a lot of what makes a superhero movie successful is at a certain point the writers and the creators I don't say give up, but they give in and say, hey, look, <laughs> can we just have fun with this? Because, really, where have we had any fun so far? I know I've been griping through the whole movie, so I'm making it hard to have fun during this movie. But let's go back to seeing it in the theater when you watched it just on its own on Blu-ray. Where, what, what parts of these? And I'm really curious. Tell, you know, write me and tell me what you thought was was fun about this movie. And I guess maybe is it is it necessary for this movie to be fun? Is it necessary to have fun during this movie, or is it something that's acceptable to be like, okay, um, I really and you know, appreciated 
the the special effect. I I'm I'm saying I'm not saying that when I wasn't wa wa watching this in the theater or even right now I wasn't bored. There's a lot going on visually, and colorfully and excitingly to to keep you paying attention and watching it and not going like gnashing teeth. Especially me because I'm not that as invested in the Superman character. So this movie isn't grinding into me that this isn't what I want, this isn't what I need to see. I'm perfectly willing to watch a modern Superman and even end up loving it if it makes me feel good, you know? And when when I was walking out of the theater, I noticed, and I've heard um, reports just the opposite of mine, but at least in my um, experience, when I walked out of the theater, um, I had a vague sense of disappointment because <coughs> maybe I didn't have anything to go into a huge hyperbolic rant about. But I noticed people were just sort of walking out of the movie theater and, you know, out into the sunlight and squinting and stuff. But it wasn't that um, um, walking out two feet in the air and excited buzz of people going, oh my God, and this and this and oh I love this person and I love this person and oh the part that part there I you know there wasn't that going on it was just the sense of well just just saw that <laughs> that just happened and and apparently it was acceptable and I've I've ex I've, I mean I've experienced that with many a summer blockbuster where I was like, that was fun. That was, you know, I, I paid my 850 or $10 and I saw it up on the screen and it didn't change my life. It's not a movie I'm gonna, you know, watch over and over again to keep getting stuff out of. But it was, but it was enjoyable, you know, it was, it was engaging. And uh, this, I mean, it basically qualifies as that. It's not incompetent, horrible, tone-deaf, completely tone-deaf filmmaking. It's just cynical in the way that a lot of um, modern blockbusters are, where it says, hey, listen, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to really really put a lot of thought of into developing these characters. I mean, Perry White and um, you know, the the Daily Planet crew. See, this does d just does not have any feeling of danger to me. The, the Superman fighting that giant machine really feels like a video game cutscene. As does as does all of this. It it's it's a lot of um, time and effort and work. <laughs> and like, uh, now we're really getting into the 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 um, nine eleven stuff but once again it's only you can say this just 
so quiet. That building's coming down so quietly behind them. For a realistic movie. And running away from a building like that and having it crash just behind you in a realistic world would still probably kill you with debris and with just the sheer displaced air blowing you ahead of it. Now, here we have another wasted opportunity. Ah, yes. Jorel is still... still plugged in and and active and and can now from beyond the grave interact with general zod so they get a scene to interact with each other we could have had a great i don't want to call it a running gag because it wouldn't really be a joke but we could have had the two of these having a running dialogue throughout the whole movie that could have been um really really interesting and could have revealed things about well, more likely Zod's character than, than Jor-El's character. Oh he kills him again. But we don't. We don't. It's just sort of it's there. It's there and it happened. You know, let's let's go to another failed Superman movie, The Superman Returns. A movie that for me is kind of just a big blah, except for the scene where he he um, saves the space shuttle. But um, but that sequence stands out because it captures the feel of of superheroics. And at the same time, it gives you a little of um, the physics behind Superman saving something in a realistic way mixed with a classic Superman way. And it, it actually got my heart beating. Whereas there's nothing in this movie that, 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 that saw it. And I could even isolate it out and say, wow, that right there is, is Superman. Um, Another another thing where you know we have that scene. What? Why do we even need that Perry White scene going on? It's just because to give those characters, I guess, some more scenes in the movie to make them in it more, to make them even have a reason to be in it. But there's no reason to be in it. We don't know those people right now. We don't really feel for their danger in anything other than uh, you know way you would feel for anybody else you don't know who's about to get crushed in a horrible situation. That was a weird cut. It was like he was holding his breath and, and they cut away from it. And isn't this music, doesn't this music say sacrifice we got a sacrifice coming superman somehow going to do something but no it's more like just superman's going to kick this thing's ass 
Blue! Oh my god, it's so blue. It's blue down on the ground, but it's nighttime up in the air. Weird. Oh, that's because we're up above the the clouds that are blanketing the city. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and this scene is flat out reminds me of um, both the Dark Knight and Avengers. <laughs> The last Dark Knight movie. Ship out of danger. Uh, soak up some energy. Now this is once again. This could th that could be a beautiful. That could have been a beautiful scene right there. It had some meaning to it. <laughs> Once again, a uh, once again, and there we have a uh, we have a uh, artificially invented problem in order to build some. I guess tension. That guy. That guy there with the glasses. Who the hell is he? Who the hell is he? Couldn't we have had one or two lines of dialogue to get an idea of who that person is and what his personality is? Target that aircraft. Target locked. Yeah, so and that just that just that line of dialogue doesn't make any sense to me. Krypton had its chance. I get he's he's actually right. Krypton did have its chance. Krypton still has its chance. Well, not really, because who would want to like? Would he want to, like, send General Zod out and be like, okay, you know, go someplace, you should go someplace else and start Krypton. I guess you don't want General Zod starting Krypton over again. And, and Krypton did have its chance to leave and live, but they chose not to. I just don't see that as either this Superman or classic Superman or any Superman. Oh, that's all. It wasn't turned to the right. Okay, to the left. We got it. Problem solved. Oh, Wilhelm scream. Never going to complain about a Wilhelm scream in a movie. Boy, I'd care about <laughs> whether that guy lives or dies if I knew a goddamn thing about him. And her. And her relationship with Zod. And it's it's the, who is she? Is 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 she a sexy beast? Is she what what is her personality like? Where where, where do we get anything from her 
at all. Who are these people? Who are these people? What are they doing? What am I doing watching this and talking? A good death is a total reward. The first, uh... That's kind of the first moment of dialogue and um, action that I kind of like in this movie. And it's a very stereotypical catchphrase before sacrificing yourself. But at the same time, it's good. It refers to an earlier interaction between the two of them. So maybe I'll chalk that up as a as a real as a sort of real character moment or a real a real moment that we all shared as filmmakers. This could be if we shared in their love story, if we felt their love story. There could be some great resonance to this scene. Oh, and all of a sudden, she's out. <laughs> she's out from her inextricable spot. Alright, Man of Steel, you do not earn this kiss. Even though they haven't kissed through the whole movie, and they've been, quote-unquote, falling in love through the movie, there's really nothing to get them to this point or at least to the point where this kiss is obviously so emotional and so uh, hormonally stimulating for both of them yeah the hormonally stimulating whatever that can happen from any any hot kiss but a bond between these two characters really I like this. I like this shot. I like that they. Uh, I like that Superman does a, a lot of. Uh, although it's sort of like a kung fu movie where a guy will do like five backflips and then punch somebody in the face. There's no reason for the backflips. He could have just like hopped right over there, but I liked it. It was a nice dramatic little shot. You are so full of shit, Zod. But it's not your fault. It's David Goyer's fault. Everything I did, I did for Krypton, or Krypton, whichever, I, they, they sort of alternate. No, it's, t you're, 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 what you're saying is patently untrue, and you know it. Or at least you should know it. It seems like in the writing of it, you really believe what you're saying, General Zod. I just don't buy that. I don't buy that. A real character would not would not believe that. And if he was if he was really a serious pragmatic Kryptonian to save his race, his prime prime objective would be to save himself, his crew, and and maybe even Kal-El to some purpose. That's all that's left of Krypton. It would be much more strategically better to terraform some other planet which they can obviously get to and just sort of let Superman be and that's not what happened and 
those characters just standing there sort of after after Metropolis getting nearly leveled that I like that too that's a that's a that's a nice idea and you know there's so many things that if this was a well-written movie would have been so much more re resonating I really like the way they portray heat vision in this movie all right people are not going to be standing around like that with buildings falling down they're gonna be running in the other way that is a that's a proven fact we've seen what happens when buildings fall down people run for their lives these guys might be like in shock a little bit but still that doesn't Once again, fairly realistic, I guess, portrayal of, of fighting, but the way that it's shot and the way that it's executed doesn't... I want to feel every punch that's landed. I don't have to... I want to see it, but I want to feel it, too. I want to, I want to feel the visceral impact of it. We know these characters can just go through these buildings like butter but when they impact each other you see the physical impact boom he flies away and and superman tumbles but it's not connected this is another scene that i like right here that's right out of a comic book that's and that was sort of kind of it's funny to say, but I was disappointed in Zack Snyder in this movie because I, at least, I, I was sort of hoping for a hundred moments like that with that heat be vision um, destroying a steel beam. I was sort of hoping that it would be a, not hoping, but expecting it to be the ridiculous story that it is. But on top of that, maybe having, say, the visual style of the Fleischer cartoons maybe for the battles and stuff where big stuff is happening but clearly it makes you feel it makes the stuff feel big very much like the matrix we have this fight in a city and this is sort of what it would look like this is kind of like what all these years of Superman you've been waiting to see the technology catch up to the point where you can have him seamlessly fly around and not look like he's on a green screen and you can and you can computer simulate a city and the physics behind their fight and the damage caused by their fight but it's how you portray it on the screen it's how you compose the the picture that pulls you in to that person, the, the people that are fighting, even if they're not. I, I, I mean, that was a nice little visual thing where he comes out and everything's upside down. The odds of you getting launched into space right into the path, path of a satellite, pretty slim in a realistic movie, in a, in a fantastical movie, whatever, it makes total sense. But, um, just tonally what we have here instead of a 
big action sequence. It is a big action sequence, but it's not composed to be exciting. It's composed to be momentous and portentous. The music is portentous. The lighting is is portentous and serious. And here we come to the another huge point of contention, whereas this is not what my Superman would do. My Superman would use his brains to figure out how to get out of the obvious situation where you have to where Zod even claims you're gonna have to kill me to do this so then you just come out with a literal thing okay hey those people can they can get the hell out of there <laughs> they have so many avenues of escape and okay they're panicking little weaklings But it's just laziness. It's pure laziness. This, I'm, whatever, this, I guess this Superman can kill. I have really, I guess, no problem with that. It's just, it would have been so much more interesting if he found a way not to kill. And okay, yes, he's, he's, he's anguished by it. And... This could have been a great scene right here where where Lois sort of mother in a motherly fashion comforts him. But they haven't earned it. These people do not know each other. To the, even though they just made out, they just they don't know each other. They don't to to fall in love. Come on. And once again, if this movie had a little goofiness or levity or fun to it, I might just slough all that shit off. Just slough it off and be like, okay, we're having fun here. You know, Lois, we know Lois and Clark fall in love. The movie isn't diddling around with that. And here's another scene where they're, you know, <sighs> just fake character building. You know, this is establishing Superman's relationship with the U.S. the U.S. government and fair and I guess by proxy the human race, where he's like, "Look, I can kick your ass. I'm not going to, but you just back off, Buckaroo." Um. Okay, fine. That well, setting up for another movie. But um, right now we've got all our we've got all our um, story elements, you know, ended. Oh, look! Here comes a moment of humor. A joke. How about that? Two hours and ten minutes into the movie, uh, a joke. Thank you. Wouldn't would w wouldn't this whole two and a half hours gone by a little little better if we had something to laugh at or something to feel good about? Because really, what have we had to feel good about in this movie? We've basically had two martyred fathers. 
um, a dissolute, you know, a, a dis, not disaffected, but a, a childhood as an outsider. A, a scene that says nothing just reaffir this scene just reaffirms Pa Kent's reluctance to have Clark be a hero or, or realize his potential that could have been a really neat scene right there if we resonated with the character all right, so how are we going to end this? This is this is what frustrated me about the first Matrix movie is uh really would have liked to have seen this two and a half hours ago. Come on, Lois. Um It's like giving us, giving, uh, they're, they're, they're throwing in, see, see, this is, this is so annoying. It's, it's the end of the movie and now we're gonna, we're gonna start doing too little, too little too late. <laughs> Scenes that mean, that could mean something. That could, that could flow with life and acting and real characters and and once again we're we're missing it we're, we're in a busy newsroom it should be flurrying with activity all right a l little bit of meaning there because they know who each other are or whatever but really d and that's the moment you take to 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 go out is that supposed to make your heart rise or it's it's weird he goes out on um, on Clark Kent. Oh, a little nepotism there. I didn't notice it. Uh, I'm guessing Deborah Snyder, Zack Snyder's wife. And here we get a sort of stirring theme. <laughs> Would have been that that bum bum that rising theme might have been really exciting in a scene with Superman doing something really super just flying or something. They might even have done it, but if they did, they did not spike it enough. Well, anyway, we're done. We're done. We're in the credits. I managed through the use of caffeine to talk for. <laughs> two and a half hours no surprise there but um ah you know I'm curious to see what you guys think I know but I basically know what everybody thinks I've just been wanting to have this opportunity to sort of put into words in a sequential manner what it was that I thought why this movie I don't think is going to go down in history as anything but just sort of something sitting sitting on people's DVD shelves. It's not something I don't think that's going to 
um, two or three generations from now, or, or two or three generations from now, one generation from now, our kids, or kids, you know, that are little kids now are going to see this on TV and vibe with it. You know what I mean? They're going to pick up on it and start a Superman addiction from it. They're probably going to watch it and then move on to the next movie. And to that extent, I guess it's not so much of a big tra- as much a big tragedy any more so than any other, you know, huge blockbuster tentpole movie that has just sort of gotten it wrong or gotten it a little weird. But, I mean, we just have a generic summer blockbuster. Even the problems with it, even though they've generated a lot of ire, it's funny to me what it is, you know, the city being destroyed, um, uh, Clark killing Zod, that's been the major fan items of contention to to me they might have been items of contention and I and not that I'm not willing to argue in a different context why Superman shouldn't have killed Zod or or any of that other stuff because then I would be arguing my Superman versus a Superman in this movie which is a worthy argument but I try I'm trying to keep it out of this because I'm trying to I was trying to keep this movie in its own context as pretty much next to impossible as that is but um yeah it's it's a shame it's 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 like it's I mean seriously I would think of this movie I would almost compare it in a way with something like um Cowboys versus Aliens, or something, ah, I'll, which had more fun in it. But it was another one of those movies. I saw it. It's like okay, there was a summer movie. It had the the items of action in it and enough story to justify that it is a story, and it's really an excuse to see things flying around and see people shooting and and stuff like that. So, I think a lot of the the ire and anger was because it was not a Superman movie for the ages or the Superman movie for the ages that someday might be made or should be made or has been made or whatever. Um, I, I mean, I expect it because it's Superman and it's, it's comic book fans and what else do we do? I mean, I was able to get more piss and vinegar worked up on what happened in Star Trek Into Darkness because those are characters that I'm invested in. Those are characters that I know them inside and out. I know they're pretty much their whole history in comic books and books and TV shows and movies and to see see it get the, the basically the same, I would actually into darkness in this movie are so very similar in a lot of ways you have um a a good set of actors who really want to um really want to work their characters you have a big budget to do special effects and you have established characters that everybody knows and loves 
and basically you 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 turn them into action figures and you put a throw a dumb story on top of it a very simple bad guy don't like good guy bad guy gonna do bad thing to destroy everything by good guy and has to be stopped and uh, that's all well and good I'm all for simple motivations simple stories but you gotta make it plausible and neither of those movies did um, with with Khan and back into the first Star Trek with Nero it's Nero really is more like Zod in this movie than say Khan is like Zod Nero was we needed a bad guy we're gonna make him uh, we'll give him um, one character um, tone and that is angry and yelling and and homicidal on a large scale and basically make it so we don't have to make him a character because there's no reasoning with him there's no logic to what he's doing he's just bad and he's doing it um, nobody's gonna stop him nobody's gonna talk him out of it no, nobody on his nobody's gonna none of the other you know couldn't we have had one scene with the other Kryptonians going, Hey, Zod, um, I think maybe you might be getting, you know, maybe some tension between the Kryptonians where some of them think, yeah, maybe Zod's um, getting a little too much into his uh, revenge s s story than his saving Krypton story. And, uh, or maybe... Um, there could have been power plays amongst the Kryptonians and Zod, but all that would be too complicated. Yet at the same time, there's a lot of um, the way they tell the story. They make it more complicated. They're, they're making it more complicated by breaking it up. And I don't think that was as much as an artistic decision on this movie's part as a decision of trying to be unlike other Superman movies where you've had to tell the, the origin. And so that takes up the front half of the movie. So, you know, the, the beginning of the movie is Superman crashing on Earth and and going, you know, they could have cut it all in sequential order with him running into the closet and then leaving to go live on the boat and all that. But maybe they thought, ah, that's people have seen that uh, to some extent. And we, we, we don't, we want to keep them interested. So we'll, we'll just mix it up a little bit. And I can see that decision being made, but they didn't, that's not a reason that is story oriented. <laughs> is good movie oriented it's yeah, we're trying to outthink our audience and outthink this and and maybe get ahead of some criticisms or something I don't know I just don't think whoever was writing actually put that much as much thought into it as much as they just were like how can we get the stuff 
for people to do that's cool up on the screen and how can we get as much Superman mythos in there so the people who recognize it go that and that oh this scene's from that and this scene's from that and maybe distract them away from <laughs> the obvious lack of story and characterization but we're at the final blackout at 2 hours 23 minutes and 2 seconds you guys have heard enough of my voice um so there we go man of steel there's your commentary monthly monday um i should have said this at the top of the show but i just want to say this is uh the first two true freaks tentpole show that we've put out since comics monthly monday which was our 400th episode which we just blew off and i just want to thank scott rifun and everybody in demanza corp they all helped him out they all put together a a 20 minute four 400 tribute episode (laughs) which technically wasn't the 400th but they put it up and put it together behind scott's and my back those wonderful bastards Uh, um I'm a cynical, cynical piece of shit. Nothing surprises me. Nothing catches me off guard. This totally caught me off guard. I did not see it coming. I did not pick up. These guys did such a great job of keeping a secret from Scott and I that, frankly, it's kind of frightening. (laughs) I'm, I'm kind of worried about a coup at this point. But, oh my God, listening to that, has just put so much um well for for one thing it really um it really makes me happy that our podcast has had such an effect on on people and it just it it filled me full of a lot of impetus to just keep going with podcasting and to actually strive for even more so thanks guys um I'm probably going to listen to it again before I go to bed just to just to give me an extra little uh, jazz of adrenaline. So, next month, if all goes well, Scott Gardner will be back. I have no idea what movie we're going to have, but it will be something awesome. All right, guys. Take it easy. If you like Man of Steel, I'm sorry for trashing it all the way through, and I'm very impressed (laughs) that you made it all the way through this podcast and I'm gonna go to bed if I can but I'm all caffeined up good night everybody
you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our brand new website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for... Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, two True Freaks. This is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.